Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Mitten Politics, where change is political. My name's Ian Duncanson, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm really excited to talk with activist Lakeisha Morrison today about privilege and equity. We're going to cover a number of different uh, elements of privilege and kind of talk about each of them and the effects that they have and how they manifest, as well as some possible changes uh, that we can make as individuals uh, to change the system that we're currently living in. I wanted to start by mentioning when I invited Lakeisha to record with me, uh, initially there was a little bit of hesitation because she did not want to be the Black voice all alone speaking about what white privilege is, etc. And that, I mean, that to me says enough uh, in and of itself about kind of the conversation that we have today. And I made sure to reassure her that this was a conversation. I'm someone who's, who is white, and I would be remiss to have a conversation about privilege with only a white perspective. And uh, knowing her to be a very humble person, to be an activist who speaks out and has opinions and has perspective and experiences to share, I felt that she would be a good person to have this conversation with. Um, and my role is to discuss what what white people can do um, and and support and uplift uh, the the messages that I know she has shared in the past as well. Um, one disclaimer is that uh, while Akisha was recording, there were some kids in the background. She was looking after her family and was outside. So apologies for uh, kind of some of the background noise, but. Uh, please, please give it a shot. This, this episode is definitely worth it. Um, and I really appreciate her being willing to record with me. Uh, I also wanted to mention, we do discuss uh, cisgender and uh, heterosexual privilege, uh, straight privilege uh, in this episode some, and I don't think that uh, we're able to fully do it complete justice. And I'm planning to do another episode specifically about uh, gender, sex, sexual orientation, uh, gender expression, and and more. So please uh, be on the lookout for that. That will be coming in the next uh, few episodes for sure. I also wanted to mention that you know, we talk about different types of privilege in this episode, but privilege is really intersectional. So you can have privilege in some areas uh, and not in other areas. For example, I have uh, white privilege because I'm white. I have male privilege. I also have cisgender privilege. I have economic privilege from growing up in a middle-class family, um, but I don't have straight privilege. And so there are certain things that, that intersect when you talk about privilege. And so you kind of have to look at it on a larger scale with an open mind. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention, and then I'll dive in, is that, uh, you know, keep in mind that I don't speak for all gay people. I don't speak for all men. I don't speak for all white people. And one of the reasons I'm really glad to have Lakeisha on is Lakeisha doesn't profess to speak for all Black voices and all Black experiences. She's one of the most open-minded, humble, and committed people that I have, I have met regarding these issues. And so um, please listen to this episode with an open mind. Um, 
if, if you have any feedback or anything that you want to send, I'll provide information at the end of the episode as well, as I'm happy to take additional perspectives um, and, and discuss them at, you know, I don't think this is the only episode I'm going to do on privilege. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and uh, we'll dive in. All right, I'm here today with Lakeisha Morrison, who's an activist in Royal Oak. Um, I first uh, actually met you and and spoke with you um, and found out about you really um, when you helped to organize the Black Lives Matter protest in Royal Oak, which I was able to participate in last summer. Um, I know that you ran for school board last year, um, and I'm just really excited to have you on the podcast today. So welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about you know, today's topic, uh, privilege. And uh, it's, I would have to say uh, thank you so much for coming out over the summer. And, you know, we've got to remember that this is not a uh, just a moment. It's a movement and that we got to keep going forward uh, with the Black Lives Movement. And then uh, just having so much history in Royal Oak, I had to start somewhere where it's home. So just having the opportunity of doing it in my hometown is great. And having so many people come out and support the cause. Um, I'm so blessed to have you guys. Yeah, well, I, I think I would argue that we're blessed to have you because I think um, you've definitely brought a really great perspective. And, and as an activist, I think that um, your organizing power really has an impact. Um, you know, I obviously was someone who joined the Black Lives Matter protest, but I found out about it and was able to just walk over and join, you know, and so I yeah. know it took a lot of organizing and, and background work to get the word out and get a time set. And um, so I, th I, I think we all really appreciate the work that went into yeah. to organizing that as well. well. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think a lot had to do with people actually coming out. I only put my name out there and um, my history, my history within Royal Oak. And then you guys did most of the work being my ally and standing up for what is right and what is needed to move forward in our country as a whole, instead of separating each um, races against each other and realizing that there is an issue within our country and that we all have to move on and move forward together. So it wasn't just me, it was everyone that came out and protested and used their voices and voiced their concerns about what was going on with the, um, the murder of George Floyd and you know, it's beyond that, but at that moment, uh, everyone came together in solidarity and saying, you know what, enough is enough. So I appreciate you guys too. You guys did half the work as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad our community is the way that it is. Royal Oak, I feel yeah. like is, is a relatively progressive community and I'm, I'm glad to have moved here and be a part of it. Um, and that kind of leads us into, so our topic today that we're going to talk about privilege and equity, and we'll kind of dissect a little bit about what privilege is, how it manifests, um, some of the different types of privilege that people uh, have or encounter, um, as well as some things that we can do to remedy that. Um, and I think we'll be able to tie in a little bit as well, especially, especially when we talk about white privilege, the issues that people seem to have understanding what it means to say Black Lives Matter and yeah. why responding with all lives matter is not uh, is not as inclusive as people would like to think that it is. So yeah. um, just to kind of get started, um, 
regarding privilege, let's let's kind of define privilege. So when you think of the word privilege, what is kind of your general con conception of that word? I mean, being taught uh, privilege is having the benefits and advantages over another group or uh, certain sex groups, person, race, all that. That's what I understand what privilege is and having a privilege doesn't mean that you're better than someone. It just means that you have advantage over a lot of um, oppressed people or oppressed uh, uh, groups of people. So that's what I get from be, uh, understanding what privilege is. Um, the rights to do certain things that other people cannot do. Um, having to look outside the box without actually thinking about what's gonna happen looking outside of the box of certain things um, and just having power over uh, certain things in certain um, situations is how I see what privilege is about. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of how I would, I would describe it as well is, um, you know, we have, you know, rights and privileges, at least that's what we're taught. And so, you know, rights are things that you're entitled to privileges are above and beyond that and set you apart from those who don't have the same privilege. And I think that there's, it's important to mention that there are, there is a difference between earned privilege and unearned privilege. So for example, if I, you know, sell something and have money, I now have, you know, some privilege because I can do things with that money that maybe a friend who's in an equal situation as mine didn't sell something. And so they may not have that same privilege, but that's mm -hmm. different than privilege that you're, is inherent in uh, things that are not earned, right? Like, so I'm white, I didn't earn being white. That was something I was just born with. That's not something I worked for. Um, and so I think that there's a difference. And a lot of times people get hung up on thinking like, you know, any privilege that I have is not privilege because I worked for it. I earned it right. while neglecting all of the other factors that made it easier, the privilege they had on the journey to where they're at that others did not have. But we'll talk about that as we get into more of the specific types of privilege. Perfect. So um, all right, so first up, I guess, um, white privilege, I think is probably one of the most powerful. Um, and it's not just in the United States, it's, it's globally, it's, it has impacts, um, leads into things like white supremacy um, at, at its extremes um, and white nationalism, uh, you know, in the US and things like that. But at its essence, um, from my, I'll get kind of give my understanding and then you can kind of elaborate and share, mm -hmm. share what you're feeling. Um, so to me, white privilege has meant that it's easier for me to experience certain things in life than someone with a different skin color than my own. So if I'm pulled over on the side of the road, uh, you know, by a police officer for something traffic related or otherwise, there's a certain inherent privilege that I am treated a different way um, or given maybe benefits of the doubt that someone who's black, mm -hmm. someone who's Latino might not experience um, that, that same level. And so to me, that white privilege simply makes certain things easier. Um, 
including an ex you know examples of in job applications sometimes even just mm -hmm. your name being considered a traditionally white name can get you to the top of the list or get you to a first round interview and things like that so that to me is kind of how how that white privilege manifests mm -hmm. is that there are certain doors that are easier for me to open. I might still have to work to open those doors, but they're easier for me to open than someone who does not have white skin. So that right. would be kind of I, my understanding. I mean, you hit every nail on the uh, on the head because, you know, growing up in an all white um, community, honestly, it was an all white community for us when I was young being the only black um, children in our schools or whatnot, uh, we don't, we didn't look at uh, color as an issue because, you know, you, as a child, you don't know better. But growing up, seeing what my parents had to go through and telling me stories of um, the things that they have to watch us go through, it's very hard to listen or to hear growing up, um, you know, being discriminated because of a certain color, it sucks. And um, being white privilege, it just means that, like, you know, you have the advantages over people of color sometimes. Like you said, when it comes to jobs, I had my cousin once tell me when I, I might have been like maybe 12 or 13 years old when they were uh, expecting their first child. They, I asked, what was the baby's name going to be? They're like, we're going to name him Lindsay because when we turn in an application, they're not going to think, oh, is this person black or is this person white? They're going to just think that this person's a white person and they're going to look at the qualifications as if you know a normal person and they earn that job but when you have someone that has a different ethnic name it might be a little bit different um i think the issue is people need to understand uh white privilege doesn't mean that you you were granted this like amazing life you still had to work hard people still have to work hard for what they want in life you know, living in a world, in a country where you see that it was built for a white person. I mean, that's privilege. Um, for me, you know, having opportunities taken from me because I don't fit uh, the narrative or the look, that's privilege. And when I have to tell my son, you know, this is what you have to do when you get become uh, of age of driving, make sure your hands are at 12 and two when you're driving, when you're getting pulled over, um, you know, I can have the same conversation with his friend and they tell me, well, my mom's never had to talk to me and say, you know, make sure your hands are being seen at, at all times when the police pull you over or, you know, certain like things like that. Or like when you're in school, you know, you have to act the part when they're children, they should be able to act and feel however they want and not because, um, or be picked off because of the color, their skin. So um, so many people are so defensive of uh, just something that is I'm having a brain fart. Sorry. Um, You're good. I think, yeah, I think that people get defensive <laughs> because they think that people assume um, that because they have white privilege, that that's somehow saying that they haven't worked for the things they've worked for or that they haven't um, you know, fought to build a life for themselves or things like that. I think that's that's the defensiveness. And, and I think what people need to understand is that white privilege is not something that you need to feel guilty for having. White privilege is something that you need to acknowledge that you have and Correct. work to change the systems that frankly mm -hmm. 
dating all the way back to the founding of our country in, in you know, in the, the, the papers that were written by all white men at the founding of the United States, there was a built in structure of systemic racism. And that systemic racism, many of those same structures are prevalent today and continue to lift um, the essentially give white people more privilege than people mm -hmm. of color. And it's not because you're waking up one morning and going, I'm white, I'm going to go do things that I can do because I'm white. However, the things that you are doing as a white person give you um, different experiences than someone who is right. not. Um, you know, even when I look at decisions that are being made, um, in our House of Representatives and Senate, which are mostly disproportionately white um, elected representatives. And when you think about um, our, our police forces and um, there's, there's this perception, and I was raised with a certain underlying, um, you know, underlying racism. And my parents were not someone that you would traditionally define as like explicitly racist by any means, mm -hmm. but there were still things like you know, don't go to Pontiac, that's not a great area, or be careful when you're in downtown Detroit, that were those kind of like underlying racist viewpoints and framing of the difference of whiteness and blackness without mm -hmm. being explicitly so. And so it, yeah. acknowledging white privilege is also taking yourself outside of that, that um, kind of closed system and recognizing that we need to change some of our perceptions, the way that we treat other people, but we also need to, um, to fight so that the system is equal and the experiences truly are equal. I remember being told a story by one of my bosses who's black telling me about when she was um, multiple times in her life has been pulled over by police, not because she was doing anything wrong, um, she was driving perfectly fine, had her headlights on, was doing everything she was supposed to be doing, and was pulled over and still interrogated by a police officer, despite having done nothing wrong, simply because she was black and driving in a particular part of town or at a particular time of day. And, yeah. you know, that that's something that white people don't experience. Yeah. I think also to, like, elaborate on what you're saying with the experiences, I remember growing up and um, Royal Oak, and well, I still am, um, and Royal Oak, where, you know, you're, at my age, we were, like, once again, we were the only Black families in Royal Oak in the early 90s, and um, even the late 80s, where, you know, we were the only ones going into that school, and, you know, when you would walk home, or when you would hang out with friends that were white children, they would say, why would you, why do you talk like that, and later on in life, we didn't realize that we would talk proper, and we would just talk how we were, how, you know, we learned how to talk. And I think a lot of people think that, you know, black people should only speak in Ebonics or have slang and, you know, they aren't supposed to be taught or taught educate, or sorry, they should not speak educationally or correctly. Um, you know, it doesn't meet their, um, what's the word? Sorry, I'm just, I know what, what you're. I know what you're talking about. I mean, I've yeah. heard people refer to like someone who's black, who's well spoken, as talking. Yes. 
and yeah. that's not like that's white white people don't have a yeah. monopoly on a, a way of speaking <laughs> it's <Yeah. laughs> the way that you speak is not based on race um exactly and i remember i i had told the story too while uh, we had our protests um the fact that like you know my family being rooted into royal oak and um i keep going back to saying that we were the only black we weren't the only black families but we were the first founding black family in royal oak and you know when this was in the early 2000s when you know i tell my story and this is the reason why i tell my story my father and my mother were in a pretty heated conversation argument and my mom just wanted someone to come and play peacemaker and it wasn't about like anyone put their hands on anyone or you know it wasn't escalating my mother had called the police and asked for someone to defuse their argument and you know my my dad being the type of person he is a black man in an all-white community you know thought twice and said you know what i gotta get out of here i don't think this is going to end right because you know uh we know that the system is not meant for black men and uh you know before he could even drive off and shut his door to leave you know you've got about 15 police officers jumping on him and beating him up and telling them to put your hands up as if he was some kind of criminal and you know things like that i don't some people don't have to worry about that and you know when I say, for instance, a white family calls the cops and say, hey, I just need someone to escalate this um, conversation or this argument. No one's going to be jumping out of their cars and beating someone up. That's that's privilege right there. So absolutely. And if something like that in the same exact circumstances happened to someone who is white, there would be such outrage and backlash. There'd be litigation. It would be, it would make the national news. Like it would be a, a huge problem, but because we've been kind of trained. I mean, if you look, you watch local news stories and the people whose mugshots that they want to show up on the TV, yes. you watch a show like cops and you know, which it, garbage television at at best. Um, yeah, is you know, it it trains people into viewing that um, this is normal and that this right. is just you know, oh, it's unfortunate, but this happens. Yes. Versus... and then it's so quick, and it's so there's so, it's people are so quick to say, but what did that person do to deserve that? I mean, Absolutely. And that's the most frustrating part is like is it a crime to be black now? It, that's where I get upset about where, you know, why did I have to do anything or why did my dad have to do anything to deserve an ass whooping? Sorry, a butt whooping. Oh no, you're so. good. I, it, I, I think that that's fair. And I think we saw this manifest too in comparing, and I hate to contra- compare and contrast the, the Black Lives Matter protests last summer with the insurrection on the 6th because they were completely different. So at a foundational mm-hmm. level, I first wanna say, that the Black Lives Matter protests were literally about, please stop killing us just because we're black. And the insurrection was, we're uncomfortable because we're white supremacists and we feel that we have the right to attack a government building. Um, But when you look at the way that the police handled those two different situations, if Black Lives Matter protesters had been carrying semi-automatic rifles and guns and um, knives and weapons and had broken into the U.S. Capitol, we would have been hearing about thousands that were dead. 
we have, you know, all of these white people and there's, I, I think there were maybe one or two deaths of the actual rioters. There were mm -hmm. actually more officers who died. Mm -hmm. um, some of them due to suicide. Um, yeah. But, but officers were letting them in, were opening the gates, opening the doors. Yeah. And there, there was not the same. I mean, there's video footage of officers literally just standing there inside the building while hordes of, of these, these domestic terrorists is what they yeah. are yeah. walking by. And, and that never in a million years would have happened um, if those protesters had, I don't even want to say protesters, those terrorists say, black. Yeah, and you can even remove the whole Black Lives Matter protesters. You can just say, maybe even have that amount of the same people just being black and being angry about what was going on. You still would have a, a different outcome. Like, you know, so many people want to sit there and say, well, it's their rights. Well, let a black person have some rights and it's, it's not going to end the same way. So, and that's their privilege. I mean, you walk away with less people dead when you've got a hell of a lot more people, black men and women being killed because of the color of their skin and because the system is so broken and it was never meant for black people to secede. So um, it's, it's just sad, you know, when you flip the coin, it's, I mean, you're gonna have something that's a lot worse than what we have right now so right and and that's where I think like you know again it's not saying that if you're white you should feel guilty for being white and having the privilege that you have but you should be able to leverage that privilege when you're voting mm -hmm. when you're demanding things of your elected officials when you're advocating for policies um, there are so many things that we can and need to do to uh to level the playing field. And we'll talk more about mm -hmm. equity towards the end of the episode, but there are so many mm -hmm. things that we can do um, to truly fix it. Because I mean, when you think about how um, slavery ended and then going through the Jim Crow era and reconstruction and all of that, nothing ever really changed. It was kind of just like, okay, well, we're going to take away the the legal term of slavery. We're gonna mm -hmm. take that away and now you're free, but we're not gonna give you anything. We're not gonna help you given that you're right. already generations behind of these people who literally owned you. We're not gonna give yeah. you anything, but now you have the right to exist yeah. on your own. And, and like, we've never really taken that, those steps um, to actually adjust our laws and policies to level the playing field, to establish true equity and make it a conscious step. Exactly, yeah, so. I agree. I 100% agree because I think, you know, there hasn't even been much change, you know, growing up, my mom would say, you know, the 60s was hard. Well, you know, growing up in this time and age and seeing, you know, my brothers and sisters dying for no reason, but following directions. I mean, is it harder for me to um, see this because I'm getting older? or is it just happening more frequently? And I think it's always been there. It's just that it's more open and out in social media and out in the open. And it's easy for people to access things and see things um, as they are. And I don't think there's not have been that much improvement. I mean, it's only been what, 40 years, 50 years. Right. I mean, since you yeah. see a little the bit. Um, 
the one bright light for me is the fact that we are openly having these conversations yeah. and they're being had all the way up to the legislative and executive level of our country now even if we may not have all of the the all of the momentum that we need yet i think the momentum is building and i'm i'm glad that we're finally acknowledging that there is something wrong yeah so. i think that's where you get a lot of people that are very uncomfortable and get upset when they hear the term white privilege or you know see that their their own people are doing wrong to other races and it's embarrassing and it sucks it, i mean you have to acknowledge that the fact that there is issues going on and you know you can either be for it or against it or you can stand with us and say you know what this is not right this can't be right what did he do wrong aside from you know not moving fast enough that's no those are excuses. So, right. um, yeah, I think for me, you know, when people get so upset when they hear the term, it's like, why does it make you so upset? Is it because white's in front of it or is it the privilege? Which one is it? Because like you said, you can be privileged. You can have a privileged life. You can have that fame and that fortune. But the fact that like the struggle is still there for other people, you know, how could you say, we're all privileged in one way or another. I mean, are we? So. Right. And and that's the thing is like, like you said, it's not privilege doesn't mean you didn't work hard. Like there are people who are, you know, dirt poor, who are mm -hmm. white, who, you know, you could argue have less privilege than someone who's not. That's a different type of privilege. There's economic privilege that plays in, which we'll yeah. touch on a little bit. But nevertheless, someone who's dirt poor and white is still going to be treated than someone who is also poor and is black. And there's a complete right. difference in terms of our valuations, in terms of um, the, you know, who's willing to give someone a dollar out the door of their car. You know, mm -hmm. like there's 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 still an inherent privilege at the any level that you're at. Um, I agree. And whiteness, and so. And it's a stigma, and it's sad because. You know, it's easy for someone to say, well, don't, like you said earlier, don't go into Detroit because there could be bad things. Well, let's, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it's only getting better down there. And you know, um, the more that we, we put negativity in certain races, the, I think, stronger and more power you give to the white privilege. And it's sad. And I mean, we're supposed to break that power and be able to give it to other people and say, you know what, here's a little bit of power here so you can amplify your voice so we can all become equal together. It should never be about, you know, which one's better than the other, so. Absolutely, I, that's very well put. Um, so there, there's a couple other types of privilege I wanted to touch on. Um, so another big one is male privilege. Um, and this one obviously has also been very transparent. I mean, even lately, I've been watching a lot of shows that were made, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, and it's, you know, it's still relevant today, but it's also apparent and, and like blatantly apparent when you're watching, mm -hmm. you know, TV shows and things that have been made over the past even 50 years plus. Um, yeah is that you know being male grants certain rights and privileges men earn uh higher incomes than women for equal jobs i think it's 80 cents on the dollar that women are earning compared to men for equal okay. positions 
Um, yeah. When you think about the job industry um, and you know the, the, what the higher paying jobs are and how many more men work in those industries, we value certain jobs that men are traditionally working uh, higher and pay them higher, whereas professions that are more often uh, worked by women are often paid less, less lower salaries, less money, um, you know, and some of that is industry level. So you can think about like teachers, like there's been a huge transformation of over the last uh, several decades where most uh, K through 12 teachers, for example, are women. Um, there are male teachers as well, but traditionally now, if you, you see a majority are women and mm -hmm. teachers are not paid, um, in many cases are not even paid a living wage. Um, so sometimes it's profession-based, but also even in terms of who is, you know, in the workforce um, asking for raises, asking for promotions, being perceived as ambitious versus being bossy, um, being, you know, uh, assertive versus being considered rude. Things like that really affect, you know, professionally, but professionally isn't the only way that men have privilege. I just wanted to touch on that as the first point. I don't know if you have anything you wanted to add to that. Uh, no, not really. I just think it's, it's. I mean, our system, I, I do think that there is no privilege and the system gives them the advantage to um, get paid more and to have the freedom of doing uh, as they want more um, when women have to work twice as hard to get to I guess the top, but I feel like, you know, if someone's got the same education, the same um, ethics and, you know, same knowledge as their counterparts, I think it's, it's, it's just crazy. I don't think it's fair at all. Um, yeah. Yeah. And well, and then there's also, I think it also manifests sometimes in, um, you know, even just in, in walking around and just being in public, like, um, men don't have to deal with um, people grabbing them. Um, yeah. They don't have to deal with people whistling at them and catcalling them. Um, yeah. And and you know, there's e even in cases of rape, people often yeah. give men the benefit of the doubt. Um, as you know, in, in domestic abuse, men are given the mm -hmm. benefit of the doubt that oh, they probably didn't mean to do that. They didn't do it yeah. the way you said it. It wasn't as bad as you said it was. Or the same thing that you were talking about when. Um, you see someone who's black being abused by police, people will ask the same of, of people who've been raped, like, well, what were you wearing? What were you yeah, what insinuating? What were you offering? Did you wink at yeah. him? You know, were you asking for it? That kind of stuff. And I think that that kind of privilege is, is, is similar, um, yeah. you know, in, in the way that it affects women versus men. I agree. And then the fact that like, you, you've got so many You've got so many males that are so, and this is a different subject, like you bring up even the abortion part, you know, why does it have to be just a woman's decision? The men, I mean, they're just, this, they play the part too. And then when you flip it around, you know, so many men are so vocal about, oh, you know, we're so against abortion. Okay, so, but you're not doing your part as well. So, I mean, that's a privilege of you to say, no, you can't have this, but that's the woman's right. So. That's another privilege and the fact that you had brought up, um, you know, the cat call and I mean, let's go back to when our president said grabbing 
girls by the whatever. And, you know, you've got a team of people saying, you know, that's just locker room um, talk, but that's not. I mean, do you see him getting in trouble for that? It's, it's fun and games because, you know, a male said it. Now, have the tables turned, you know, the women would be called all kinds of names and out of their names for something that like, you know, a man can get away with doing. So I think it's, it's a sad time where, you know, you can't treat both the same way in certain topics, I guess. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, I, I mean, not that it needs to necessarily be addressed again, but again, male privilege is not saying you need to be feel bad for being male, but you need to acknowledge that privilege and advocate when you see um, friends of yours, which can be uncomfortable, but when you see friends of yours behaving in a way um, that that is reprehensible, you need to say it. You need to, to bring it up. You need to call it out. Um, and that's something that's not always difficult or not always easy. You know, if you're really close friends with somebody like, you know, but the I've heard about, you know, cases where people are friends with someone and they found out that that person raped somebody and they don't do anything about it because they don't want to hurt their friend. They just accept it. Whereas personally, I could no longer be friends with that person. Like mm-hmm. I would be one of the first to report them because I think yeah. that that's not the type of person that I could associate with and be friends with and, yeah. and view as acceptable um, if I don't do something that also falls on me. I think it also go back to masculinity too. I mean, oh, having absolutely. a woman have to walk away and not say anything and have to live with something like that and, you know, is afraid to speak up. That's just the meaning to the women as well. I mean, that's a privilege right there where it's easy for a woman to have to shut their mouth because of what, you know, a man has told them to do. Um. The one last thing I wanted to mention about male privilege before we move on to um, the couple other types um, to talk about today is also like this pandemic has really shown how just how bad male privilege is. When you look at um, jobs reports and who's on unemployment, who's been losing their job, it's also been disproportionately women who are losing their jobs because many of them are responsible for childcare, they're responsible for looking after their kids and who knows what their husbands are doing if maybe mm-hmm. you know it's just assumed that that the the woman in the in the relationship is going to leave their job and stay home because they're that's you know what we a role we ascribe to mothers um why wouldn't why shouldn't it be the same for fathers you know yeah. um and so i think that that's exacerbated and really highlighted um when you when you think about professional and pay inequity um that's that's a big thing that we've really seen come to light um even more so because of yeah Uh, all right um one other i wanted to talk about um our straight and cisgender privilege um and some of this kind of plays into male privilege because um like you mentioned masculinity versus femininity Um, As someone who identifies as gay, um, I have acknowledged that there's a difference in privilege um, between someone who is straight and someone who is gay. Um, Being gay results in uh, certain discrimination of its own forms uh, socially, obviously has been, you know, a thing that that most people are aware of and can comprehend, Mm -hmm. Um, but also in terms of 
uh, relationship expectations. Um, and, you know, even in, in the workforce, there's sometimes discrimination based on people, based on their, their sexuality. There's exclusion from certain things like uh, professional sports and things like that, that can be as a result of um, being gay. Um, mm -hmm. And so there is a certain privilege being straight and just being able to, I mean, you're one of the privileges in terms of relationships is that if you're straight and you're a straight man, you have a 90% chance that a woman that you meet and start talking to is straight. And so mm -hmm. you have a 90% chance. That doesn't mean that they're going to be interested in you. Um, yeah. But you have a 90% chance of encountering someone who is straight that you could potentially date or uh, be in a relationship with, etc. On the flip side, I, as a gay man, have a... 10% chance that a person that I encounter is gay and is someone that I could potentially date. Um, yeah. so that, that there's an element of privilege that manifests that way as well. Um, and then, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to just say, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's just a sad situation where, you know, if we're all out here to somewhat try to coexist equally, it shouldn't be disproportioned in any kind of way. I think it's, it's, it's hard to see someone you know asking for a little bit of help and we're not there to like give them you know a little bit of like uh understanding that is deserved and i think that's hard to see um and it shouldn't be uncomfortable and it shouldn't be anything different i mean you shouldn't feel any kind of uh difference because of who you like or who you are in love with i mean we're all human at the end of the day and that's the part where i get so like frustrated because why should someone's life be hard when we're all supposed to be human beings i don't get it but, yeah. yeah um and i i think that i think that's that's spot on um you know i i think about like myself my experiences feeling like i can't even when i am dating somebody like i can't most places I can't comfortably walk down the street and hold their hand, but that's yeah. something that a straight couple can do. No, no second guesses. I, yeah. could, you know, kiss somebody that I'm dating um, in public and feel super comfortable, but that's something that straight people do all the time. Um, yeah. My most recent ex actually shared with me a story about going with a former boyfriend to a restaurant and they walked in holding hands and were refused service wow. because they were gay um wow. and you know and this is that was like 2018 so like this yeah. is not stuff that's generations yeah. ago it, it's crazy because like you know up until some years ago it was something where it was hidden and then you want to go back even like you know 60 years ago where you know you had the whites drinking from here and the blacks drinking from here so at what point now that we've moved on past the you know uh black people can coexist with white people so now are we moving to another um uh, group of people saying okay well now you're not allowed to kiss the same sex like doesn't make sense to me i think that's where you see a lot of the um, gays and lesbians having you know the black people's back during the movement and vice versa i think we all um are struggling to find acceptance in this you know straightforward country and in world honestly um and that's it's sad 
it's really sad so yeah in addition to just um sexual orientation like being straight or gay i men mentioned cisgender privilege as well because i have i have a lot of friends who are trans and non-binary um trans or non-binary um and they they experience a lot of the same types of things i was just talking about um mm. being you know treated as um you know female when they are in fact male and they've transitioned and announced their transition and informed people but they continue you know people in the community continue to use the wrong pronouns or continue to treat them as though their their identity is invalid because okay. it's was somehow predetermined at birth um i i get frustrated even seeing friends of mine who i love and care about trying to do gender reveal parties because really it's not a gender reveal it's a sex reveal you're really revealing the genitals of your child because you don't know their gender their gender can manifest in a number of ways um and i think it's just you know when we talk about acceptance and treating everyone as equal i think that you know it's it's challenging it's something i'm working on are um you know, using the correct pronouns for people who are non-binary and honoring that, even though it's it's not a default. I've been used to saying him or her my entire life, but mm -hmm. why can't I do the put in the work to know how to use they them and 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 put that into my um, my vocabulary, the way that I refer to people. Uh, respecting people's pronouns and their identity. And if someone tells me that they're transitioning, not saying, oh, well, I'll, I'll treat you that way when you've had surgery or when you dress differently or when you behave differently, being able to take that at face value and respect who someone is. Um, and, and at the end of the day, like you said, it, it boils down to respect. You know, after listening to these few minutes that you've been talking, you know, a lot of things has made my head turn and think, you know, pronouns and I didn't know certain things and it just takes time for you to actually listen. And I think that's part of that. That's the importance of a lot of things is just opening up your mind and just listening. And if you can't even agree with it, just don't say nothing at all. Don't allow yourself to um, be a negative still where you can multiply and bring other people negatively to this group i guess i i, I find it just hard for you not to understand why people just can't listen and yeah you know, i think i think you're right i think it's just about respecting other people and doing your best um you know it's not it's not something that you have to take and feel like you're walking on eggshells it's something that we all in any level of these privilege that we're talking about is to just have an open mind and be willing to listen to someone be willing to do some research to understand you know um, how to how to engage with people and be respectful of who they are even if you don't understand it like you said even if you don't understand it or you don't necessarily um you know agree although you know i i still find like even something like gay i'm like how can you agree like disagree with me being gay like yeah. you yeah. can have your religious beliefs about what's right or wrong but nevertheless i'm here i exist mm -hmm. um I agree. and so i think it's just a matter of you know having respect for other people being willing to listen and not getting defensive when someone challenges something that you're saying and doing which is why i also try when i am challenging it um, like challenging somebody else, 
I try to do so with respect as well and not assume that they're intentionally making a mistake or intentionally behaving a certain way. Um, because then that opens a conversation. Yeah, and I also think that like if, you, if you're taking these experiences that this other person has had, go find another person that has the experiences. Validate that person if you are really questioning their experiences. I think it's just boils down to you listening to their story and thinking, okay, well, since this didn't happen to me, doesn't mean it doesn't happen to that person. I mean, life Bingo. is about experiences and, you know, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there that too many people, we exist within our realm of our own experiences and too many people are so stuck in that, that realm that they assume if it didn't happen to me, it right. couldn't have happened yeah. to someone else. Same thing with COVID. I mean, people who don't believe COVID is real. Yeah. Well, I don't know anyone who died. So it clearly yeah. must not be that bad. Well, so it, it's yeah. a big world out there. It's a exactly. lot of people. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. true. All right. The last uh, type of privilege I wanted to touch on um, is economic privilege, which I think underlies a lot of what we've talked about today as well. Um, the difference, but, but some of that is not just um, the money that you have today, but it's also the money that you're born with, the intergenerational wealth and what that sets you up for. Um, I know like I grew up in a lower middle class family or middle class, I guess you could say middle class, um, never in a huge house, never had, you know, more cars than we needed, drove cars mm -hmm. for way longer than their, you know, expiration date, if you will. Um, yet I still had the privilege of being raised in a family that had, um, you know, the, the wherewithal to live in a, um, a city that had a really good public school and mm -hmm. I had, you know, everything that, that was a need was provided for me. If I needed a textbook, if I needed materials for a class, I had the ability to do that. When mm -hmm. I got a, my first car and I had ran into some car repairs, my family was able to help me, you know, cover those repairs. I had to pay it back, but they had the means to help me in that moment. And, and so there were a lot of things that, that made it easier because of, um, you know, money that my family had available that, you know, my grandparents, my parents, my grandparents, and before them, like that's, that's something that of course has been passed on, worked mm -hmm. for, but passed on and set me up at, you know, the place that I'm at. I didn't work for my grandparents' money. So it's yeah. a privilege yep. for me to have any of that. And a lot of people yeah. don't have that. No, and I, I mean, it's at the end of the day, I think if, you, if you're born into uh, money, you also have to be able to humble yourself and realize there's other people around you that are trying to work to what you have or want to. And some people don't even want to get that far um, because, you know, more money brings more issues or problems. And, you know, my parents did the best that they could and, you know, we might have not had the money that, you know, that I'm growing up now and giving to my children, but I felt like they still gave me the stuff in stone to try to get there um, as best as they could and what, what, what money they could do and give. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a privilege to have that money and also be able to invest into other people to get 
you know, to have that same achievements or whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. And again, uh, same thing we've said about other types of privilege is you don't need to feel bad that or guilty that you've had the financial support or yeah. anything that like, or, or where you're at or what you're able to provide for your kids and the next generation. Like that's, it's not about feeling guilty. It's about recognizing where you're at. And then yeah. when we're having national discussions about things like minimum wage and student loan forgiveness, recognizing that the people who would be most impacted by a minimum wage would be women and uh, workers of color, would be the, the two biggest groups to benefit from a minimum wage increase. When you think yeah. about um, forgiving student loans, are there white people, white middle-class people with student loans who would benefit from that? Yes, but the, the data shows that the largest groups that would be most positively impacted by that would be people who are, uh, are would be people of color, communities of color mm -hmm. specifically, because of the amount of debt that those who do go to college have to take on with lack of intergenerational wealth. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that they have to worry about like, you know, you can make it through the first semester. What about the second and third? Giving, you know, these communities money to invest in them and to get better in life, you know, um, it can't just stop you can't just stop at a certain point. You have to continue to help, um, you know, because it's easy for people of color to result in going and getting a nine to five at McDonald's or Burger King instead of investing into their colleges and say, you know what, here's a more. I want you to finish your trade or finish your schooling. You know, it's easy for them to walk away and say, I don't have, I can't afford it. I don't have the money for that. You know, um, being raised without money. You know, you're not used to going to college for four years and not uh, making money as you go. It's easy for them just to jump in and get a, a side hustle, you know. Yes, absolutely. And w one of the things I've learned quite a bit about, uh, because I work for a financial institution and um, I myself am currently looking at like home buying and things like that. Um, I've done a lot of research on the, the 2008 recession, 2008-2009 recession, and um, the practices of redlining specifically, which was a racially targeted economic barrier that was created that, that still affects people today, even though redlining has been outlawed in a lot of, um, you know, as, as a blatant practice, it can still occur um, based on individual situations. And redlining was essentially places, uh, it was this concept that lenders would draw off certain uh, communities as redlined, meaning they would not give mortgages to people who lived in those neighborhoods. Those were not deemed uh, desirable neighborhoods for them to extend loans for. And so as a result, and that disproportionately affected communities of color as well, and low income communities specifically who are already low income, were not able to get loans to buy houses. Um, and in the US, one of the things that dating, you know, back as, as far back as you can look in the US, owning a home is viewed as one of the best ways to build wealth. Mm -hmm. When you own property, the assumption is over time it appreciates in value, you pay down your loan, you accumulate a certain net worth and wealth based on being a homeowner. That has a huge impact. 
And if people can't own a home, that prevents them from being able to truly accumulate some of that wealth. And we're not talking about, you know, like people that invest in 401ks and build wealth that way, because investing is a whole other thing. But when it comes to home ownership, that's a big way that I think there's also been generations of inequity established economically. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, you see so many uh, renting and, you know, you go into the city and so many things aren't how it is in the suburbs where, you know, you don't have that community support where it's like, let's build these people up so they can own homes. We'll go put them in a situation where they're losing money or they don't have enough to pay that bill or, you know, they can't get a loan to buy a house. Um, They're struggling. So when they're struggling, then they're going out to do, you know, negative things and therefore it brings you back to, will they finish school? Do they have money to go to school and, you know, to afford things to have to buy to pass down to the next generation? I think um, the system has set um, a lot of these communities up for failure and there's no, you know, building them back up. It's just look at them. This is, you know, they've had the opportunity, but the opportunities have never been there for them. Right. And the solution, unfortunately, you alluded to this, but the, the solution has has made this system that that takes people from, um, you know, K through 12 and to prisons. A lot of times in, you know, crime rates are a lot higher in, in general, in lower income communities. Crime rates are always higher in lower income, lower socioeconomic status communities. And for some reason, we've established this system that, that jail and prison Mm -hmm. is the answer to dealing with that crime rather than looking at the economic side and saying, if we were to be able to lift people up and make sure everyone was guaranteed the basic human rights of of being able to have access to a place to live that's safe, to have food on the table, to have healthcare. It's not about, oh, people will get lazy if we just give them things. It's it's about people are literally fighting for their lives Mm And we have so much wealth and so many resources in the United States, especially to be able to provide the basics for everyone and lift everyone up. And there's been numerous studies in places that have done like universal basic income that have shown crime rates fall off dramatically. When you reinvest money from a police force and Mm -hmm. prisons into economic programs, you actually give people a better life. You, you, you reduce crime inherently by, by solving the, the economic inequality problem. I agree. And I think, and going back a little bit, I think if you can recognize these privileges, it opens up doors for, you know, the underdog and realizing that like you have to open up your mind to unlearn these things helps you realize that like, you know, talking to, uh, person of color you can open up your mind and understand where they're coming from and why they are put in this uh group of uh you know second class <laughs> yes that's it yeah and it's sad so i think if you if you're able to just think outside your box and just listen and talk to someone of color then maybe you can be less uncomfortable about the conversation privilege and understanding why we have these biases what it does to um the black community and the people of color um 
I think maybe at that point you won't be as offended and offensive. Find the word privilege and white privilege as offensive. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast as one step is to like give people a little bit of perspective. I think in addition to talking to someone who has experiences that are different from you, there's also so many resources. There's books that you can read. Um, I check out, I'm one of those people who still checks out books from the library. Um, you can get lots of recommendations online. You can read different books. You can read articles. You can find podcasts that are outside your normal stream and listen to what people are saying and, and perspectives that are different from your own. One of the things that I know a lot of my friends who are Black specifically express frustration about is always having to be the spokesperson, always having to put out the energy to teach others and to explain things. And it's exhausting. And I, I empathize with that a lot and think that, you know, one of the things that I've tried to do is watch more movies and read more books and educate myself and do some of the work myself, instead of always expecting somebody else to do all the work for me to educate me. And I think that, you know, listening to other people is a big piece, but also yeah. being willing to put in the work yourself. Exactly. And I think, you know, there's so many resources that you can do, like you said, books and, you know, just watching movies or whatnot, but actually going and participating in um, some organizations and like protests, sitting down with your community and asking what, we, what can we do as a whole aside from um, people of color and black people doing it for us. I think um, that's a huge uh, step forward to earning trust from the black people and people of color. Because if you are actually trying to take initiative to say, you know, I'm listening, I wanna listen, I wanna be there for you. I wanna hear what is important to you and how do we achieve the same goals on the same track in the same speed, I mean, I think that would uh, open the door for people to understand each other more um, openly about why they feel a certain way and why they do the things that they do. But I think I have a hard time personally if people are so close-minded, cut off from the world, they think that their views is just their views and it's the right way. And I feel like everyone, everyone was born differently and with different brains. And I just don't understand why we cannot take someone else's personal experiences and say, you know what, you might be right. That's messed up. Why did they do this? What can we do to change your way or change their way of thinking? Yeah, and I think the first step is is getting past that barrier of viewing it as a threat, because that's where the defenses come up. And suddenly yes. it's a threat to my way of life and my understanding and the way that I've interacted in the past. But it's, it's like you said, it's not about, you know, it's not about, it's not attacking you. It's, it's, yeah. it's about opening your mind and listening to others. And honestly, most of the time for me, when I know I'm really growing is when I'm reading or hearing something that is uncomfortable because yeah. the best education and growth comes from being willing to be uncomfortable and set aside that like, you know, this isn't about me. This is not something I need to feel threatened by because this is not about me personally. This is about us mm -hmm. as a community, as a society, as a world and how we interact with each other and can, can work towards true equity. 
which takes us into kind of uh, our final point here talking about just equity, which I think equity is really the solution to privilege. Um, equity, I, I talked about this a little bit in my last episode about student loans. Um, mm -hmm. And my friend described it as, you know, it's not about changing the end point, it's about changing the starting point. So recognizing that because of privilege, we're not all starting at the exact same point. If, you know, if my, if my family has, you know, millions of dollars to support me versus my family has, you know, a couple thousand dollars in savings, our, our starting points are different for our entire life. And so working towards equity is really about trying to move the starting point closer so that people at least have the basics that they need. So they at least have the bare necessities that those things are being provided for so that everyone is starting from a closer point. Obviously we can't have, I, I think it's impossible to have a world with 8 billion people that are all going to have exactly the same experience at starting their life. But I think there is a lot that we can do to move towards, um, towards that equity and really making I, I, it. Yeah. And I agree because at the end of the day, I think you have to realize there's so many people out here that are struggling just to get to school, struggling just to have that book, struggling just to have that computer. You know, I spoke to a, a few um, Detroit public school children over the summer and into the fall where, you know, they lack the laptop, they lack the iPads. When you go into the suburbs, they supply these things. They even bring it to your home. So at what point are we not looking out for the ones that are in desperate needs? You know, you look back at the economy and you look back at how, you know, you could be born into wealth. Well, our, in some of the suburbs, they're born into wealth. They have the wealth. They have the, uh, the means to supply these kids. Well, okay, if we have that and more, why can't we supply the ones that are in need? You you say that we're lazy. You say that we can't do anything. You say that, you know, they're bad people. Well, if you give them the tools, become better people and check on them and say, what else do you need? What else can we do to achieve equity together? I mean, I, I just don't think our system is built to see their brothers, their neighbors the same. I. And it's going to take a long time for people to uh, adjust to that. Right. And, want to do. and a part of that is this competitive, this competitive structure that we have that everyone out there is working against me. And I, if I, you know, if they succeed, I'm now losing out kind of thing that it's, it's some big slice of pie that we're all fighting for our slice. And I think, um, you know, there's these, these feedback loops that like, I come from a family of teachers and mm -hmm. education funding is one of these things that's been now linked to testing scores. So if your testing scores are higher, you actually get more funding, which is, it seems to me, it, it, not that you should have your funding cut because you did well, yeah. but it seems like, you know, if a school is struggling with testing and things like that, maybe we need to look at providing more money to ensure they have the resources that they need, that they have those laptops, that they have those textbooks, that they have asbestos free schools, that their water is not filled with lead. You know, yeah. like those are the things that we need to be asking rather than having a system that financially motivates 
those who are already advantaged and, yeah. and you know takes that equity that's already that inequity rather that's already there and stratifies it even further gives people even more of a leg up the pandemic mm -hmm. exacerbated that with billionaires yeah. who made yeah. billions and billions more money while 40 million people went on on, on unemployment you know yeah. like it's it's outrageous that we have a system that automatically builds that in and it's time that we start looking at that equity from a standpoint, like you were saying, how can we provide more to help those who don't have what I have Correct. get to yeah. where I'm at? Exactly. I mean, and that's what, isn't that what we want? And, and what, you know, we strive for our children. We want our children to have what we have and what their friends have. And, you know, it's a sad time when you've got your children coming home and saying, you know, this person has this and I want that. Well, I'm sorry, honey, I don't have the opportunity or the resources to get you there. But if someone's willing to step up and say, what is it do I have to do to get her to that point? Um, you know, it's kind of like a carpool. If we all just work together to get to that point. I mean, we'll get there safely and good. And, you know, everyone's able to put their, like you said, everyone gets a piece of that pie. So, yeah, absolutely. Equity is not a, a, a definitive set thing from which there's a limited supply of. It's not a finite resource. It's something that we can all strive together. And unfortunately, I think for those who um, are higher up in, in the equity spectrum, um, you know, they had the haves they yeah. often feel that bringing someone else up to their level is somehow losing, um, but it's not. It's, it's yeah. really like equality is, is, is they definitely go hand in equity hand. is what we really need. Yeah, and I'm all for equality, but like you said, equity is what's gonna get the final, uh, the final, uh, you know, what's it called? When you're running in a track, it's the finish the final line. Goal. I mean, that's it, the finish yeah. Line, yeah. The finish line. Equity is the finish line to all humanity. Like if we can all get there, and um, I think we're, we'll, we will be okay. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. We covered yeah. a lot of really good stuff. I really appreciate appreciate your insight um, and what you've added to the conversation. I am sure that that anyone who listens to this episode is going to get a lot of new perspectives all around. So. Uh, thank you thank you for the opportunity yeah all right well you have a great rest of your day thanks you too thank you thanks to everyone for listening today i hope everyone took something away some new perspectives some things to think about i know I, even i took some things away from this and and i plan to continue reading and educating myself and asking questions um, so that I can be constantly improving, because I know there are inherent biases uh, that we're all born with. I acknowledge that I have my own that I need to continue to actively strive to fight against. So this will not be the last time we talk about these issues on this podcast. But thank you so much for listening today. Um, if you have feedback or questions, things that you would like me to address, please email me at mittenpolitics at gmail.com. Please also uh, follow my Instagram page at mitten underscore politics. 
My Facebook page can be followed at Mitten Politics. There's no underscore or spacing. Um, I'd love to hear from any of you, and I really appreciate your support. Please share this episode with anyone that you think could, could benefit from it or any of the other episodes. Um, I'm really excited to be continuing to go on with this. So uh, look for another episode in a couple weeks. Thank you.